In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Lord, may we never lose the wonder of your mercy. May we never lose the wonder of the reality of heaven. May we never lose the wonder of the trueness, the authenticity of your presence. Father, I pray that you will work a work in our hearts. We chase after the sensational. We want to see something we've never seen before. We look for entertainment that will entertain us and amuse us. Yet, that amusement is without thought. I pray, Father, that you will reach into the depths of our souls as we celebrate this Advent, this appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And may this Advent work fresh and true and deep in our hearts today and throughout every moment of our lives, Lord. May we be amazed by you. May we be terrified of you. May we be so enwrapped with the thrill of who you are that we lose our ability to sing or speak but only to adore you. You who are and were and are to come. The living God. We pray.
praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Recently, we went to see our youngest son and his wife and their new baby. It was a great thrill. And um, I had a mini epiphany while I was there. It wasn't of him or her or the baby or me or something I saw on TV. It kind of came to me in a strange way. It was... Um, Babysitting, a baby who's already asleep. So basically you're just there as a presence in case something happens, and my experience so far is that very rarely something happens unless the baby needs something. And Karen was straightening up their home, as she likes to do. And I was sitting on the couch and was looking for a movie to watch. And they have an ability to watch a lot of movies. Oh, I mean, you can imagine the libraries and categories of resources they have. And so there I was, sitting on the couch, and I was doing this. This, this stuff with a little flicker, you know, a little thing. Movie after movie after movie after movie. And with shame of some level, I said, oh, I've seen that one, I've seen that one, I've seen that one, I've seen that one. And, I, and, then, and so then I start doing this. I wish I hadn't seen that one yet. I wish I hadn't seen that one yet. I wish I hadn't seen that one yet. Because of that initial impact of seeing something for the first time that you haven't seen before. And it didn't do good things in my heart. I started becoming very reflective of just how shallow an evening alone with you can do whatever you want to do is or can be. Um, you should see us when we get about 10 of us, eight or 10 of us in a room, and we're looking for a movie no one has seen. Um, <laughs> it's like being among the scribes and Pharisees and teachers of the law and saying, let's look for a new scripture we haven't ever seen before or analyzing the Torah, or looking at a commentary and thinking of things that no one's seen before. There isn't much of that. And as a result of that, I, I started reflecting. I, 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 I felt like I was being, had no, I was bored and nothing to do. So I turned it off. There I was, sitting alone. I could hear a little bit of motion in the back, because whatever Karen was doing. And um, it could be a variety of wonderful things. Don't be, don't be wrong. The baby was sleeping. The monitor wasn't making much noise. And so there I was sitting all alone in the living room. And I thought, I wonder what it would have been like to have been there that night. That night. This night. As these shepherds who were making their occupations out in the cold, in the wintry time, 
time of chill, darkness. There weren't lights in the nearby city to, to lighten up the skies. He couldn't see the stars. It was, must have been a magnificent night as they were there, but another night, just another night for them. And we see this context within the first few verses of the, this gospel story here in Luke chapter 2. One we've read before, verses 1 all the way through verse 8, gives us the context. Shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. We'll get to shepherds next week, okay? So we're going to get to shepherds eventually. And it says in verse 9, An angel of the Lord appeared to them. One angel appeared to them. One angel appeared to Zechariah. One angel appeared to Mary. We see this in the earlier context of um, Luke's Gospel. We see an angel appeared to them. And with this angel, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. Some people say we have angels all around us all the time. Ministering spirits, the Scripture says. Caring for us and doing God's work to guide us and to lead us. Of course, we have the Holy Spirit within us in this interaction with spirituality. But we see here this context if we have angels all around us, then why can't we see them? Why can't we observe them? Why is it that we're distant from them in some way, yet apparently very close to them? And I'm always instructed by that text where Zechariah was standing in the temple. He was an old man, and in his priestly order, as one of the priests, there was a lottery that was taken every year, and this lottery chose among all the available priests the opportunity to go into the temple and offer sacrifices in the temple. It wasn't every day. It, wasn't, it, was, a, it was apparently a high holiday. And, and so as a result, it came, he got, the, he got the, um, the lot. And so he went into the temple as an old man, probably had been in the lottery all his life, never had experienced it, any, anything of this kind. And he went into the temple and as he's in the temple, he's interrupted in his holy duties by an angel, Gabriel. Almost as to say, would you mind leaving me alone? I am, I'm doing God's work. An angel is appearing to him. And he takes a bit of an attitude with the angel. Do you remember that? Remember this? So the angel begins to speak to him about this revelation that God has sent him, or he's appearing, excuse me, he's appearing to give to this mortal person. And he listens to it, and the first thing he says is, how in the world can this happen? I'm an old man, my wife's an old woman, way past childbearing, how can this happen? You know, like, Come on. And what was the angel's response? Do you remember what the angel's response was? 
He said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I don't know if that awakens your wonder at all. But he's saying to him, you blind, sinful, mortal. You arrogant person who has nothing to be arrogant about. I stand in God's presence. Not I came from God's presence, but I stand in God's presence. I'm right here right now, and I can see God's presence. I can see the glory of heaven. But you, all you can see is you. And from the time of Adam's sin and Eve's sin to this time, all men are born dead. We're breathing. Women too. We're breathing, right? But we're living in a deadness. Our pathway is toward death. And true life, what does the Bible say in John chapter 1? What is the source of life? The Word is the source of all life and sustains all life. Heaven sustains life. Real life is where heaven is. And it just permeates out. Like that Old Testament text that says that from the fountain comes all wisdom and knowledge. Out of the fountain of God's person comes all things. And spills over into even His creation. And up to the point where Adam... We don't have a lot of information about this. Unfortunately, there's not a, there's not a big, long explanation of what Adam saw in the garden prior to... Um, you know, his sin, but he had fellowship with God. And we have fellowship with God, but our fellowship is somewhat like a a blind person having fellowship with the world. We can see things, but it's usually darkness. It's all darkness. It's not really the realities of where the light comes from. You can see the light, you're not sure, well, where's the light come from right now? Does anybody know how this light came on and where the power for that light came from? I mean, where's the power plant in Rockville? Where's the power plant for that power plant? Where's the grid start? I mean, do we know anything about our context other than, I turn that light on, it better come on. <laughs> we have no context of where this came from. Where this from. Yet Gabriel is saying to Zechariah, I stand in the presence of God. And that's what this is about, this story of angels. Angels just don't come over to our side and, you know, like Hollywood shows them, you know, and help pastors' wives do some miracle at Christmas time. You know? The angel and the preacher's wife. Kind of messed up because he kind of fell in love with the pastor's wife too, you know. Stay out of my house, angel. (laughs) Don't fall in love with my wife who came to help me. (laughs) That's not going to help me. What a joke! It's a joke. It literally is a joke. But what does it appeal to? It appeals to our carnal nature, you know. It appeals to me, me, I'm getting something special. This angel is not worried about Zechariah. He doesn't care about his context. He's coming to deliver something that's going to change his world and change the world. 
Now, if we take that idea, take that reality, that context, which, by the way, didn't come from Matthew or John or Mark, came right from Luke. It's the same context that Luke is building upon as he brings forth this account. And it says that an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Now, this angel before was Gabriel, but both counts. It doesn't say the angel Gabriel appeared to the Lord, although there's a lot of you know, commentary on the subject that Luke's consistency would show this was Gabriel also here coming because he's the messenger angel and so forth. And, you know, we can get into angelology. And I kind of joked with somebody last week saying, well, next week, I guess I got to go into angelology. And believe me, you want to talk about a deep, 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 deep hole? Get into angelology. Read something about angels. You read about angels. You know, we try to show that context now. We Talk about angels doing this and angels doing that. And all you got to do is read Peretti's book on this present darkness and you can get more angels and you can choke down. And all the noises when he does his recording is reading. That's not a recommendation, by the way. That's almost like a curse. I'm just showing you how you can get. But we see this reality of heaven as it touches earth and as it sustains earth. And there's a plan going on here in earth Zachariah's plan is, I'm going into the temple because I'm going to give the sacrifice and the angels coming from heaven with the plan of God. And that plan is that one is coming. There's an advent coming. An appearing coming. And that appearing in this case with Zachariah is John the Baptist. And as it goes then to Mary, and it says there's an appearing coming. And that appearing is going to come through a virgin who's going to give birth to a baby. And now here's these shepherds. They're out in the fields. Shepherds. They're literally the last person you want to be around. They they stink. They smell like sheep. Ever heard that phrase, that a shepherd ought to smell like sheep? Yeah, well, it's true. And they did smell like sheep. And they slept outside. And they were with their sheep all the time. And they made their living. And some, some of these people lived, as it says here, they lived outside. Where does that say that? It says, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. They live out there all day. They keep watch over their flocks by night. This angel appeared to them. The glory of the Lord, the glory, the radiance, the majesty, the power, the dominion, the riches. These are all terms that are used in Scripture for glory. The text that was in in the Advent ring of of, um, Revelation chapter 5 of the angels in the just before they even start talking, there's a reaction. There's there's an overwhelming sense of majesty, of something far beyond us. Majesty. Also, the mysterium, the great mysterium, they kind of come from the same root root word in the Greek language. This idea of majesty and mysterium and glory lifting up, seeing things that we can't comprehend. Paul says the mystery of redemption is something that, what, has been revealed to us. It has been revealed. And and so people say, well, it's all a mystery. You know, the gospel is just a mystery. No, it isn't. The gospel is not a mystery. It's revealed. It's something that was a mystery, but now it's revealed. But the mysterium of the gospel, the mysterium of God, is something that resides within His presence. Imagine seeing a being 
that is omnipotent. All power. All power. Not just, oh, he's stronger than everybody else. Look, I can see he's the strongest one. I saw the strongest one. No, you actually have a, have a sense somehow of the power that permeates from him as the fountainhead and then flows to everything, including every cell of our body that needs power in order to operate. To observe that, to see that, to experience that causes such an impact on the frail, mortal mind that we just literally fall apart. And Isaiah, when he went to heaven, I'm thinking Isaiah, it might have been Jeremiah, okay? So if you're keeping notes. But he went to heaven. Man, I think it was the train filled the temple. Does that ring a bell? Is that four of Jeremiah or four of Isaiah? I think it's Jeremiah, right? Ezekiel? Huh? Okay, we'll go with Isaiah then, okay? Prove us wrong. <laughs> it's Isaiah. And so he goes into heaven. He says, he comes up into heaven. As he comes into heaven, he's just standing there. And as he's just standing in heaven, observing the thing. Now, see, I'm looking around. I don't know about you, but I'm looking around for something besides this room. Because I believe that through the scriptures, we have this available to us. I believe we have this revelation that's unfolded to us that literally starts touching the thing that's really real in us, and that's our spirit. Our awakened, redeemed spirit. I'm not saying we see angels. It's a regular event. I hear people do that, you know. Well, there was an angel right there, and he said to me, uh, you know, you're supposed to buy coffee today. Oh. You know, some trivial thing like that. Um, I think we can over-trivialize to the point we better go and let Hollywood show us what it's like because they can really show us. But the Scriptures itself, it brings us into this environment. I can tell you this because we know it's true. We know the Scriptures affect us in such a deep way that we literally start seeing the things He's seeing. They start in our spiritual heart, in our spiritual mind, okay? And then we see this as... Now see, I'm thinking it's Jeremiah. Is it Jeremiah or Isaiah? Isaiah 6. So he, you're sure about that, right? Okay. Maybe you should stand and read it for us, Chris. <laughs> okay, Isaiah 6. And so he's there and he's in, he's taken up into the heavenlies in the Spirit, says. And there in the Spirit, which is, I'm not sure what that exactly means, but it's a spiritual experience. Paul had a spiritual experience about the, the um, thorn in his flesh. And he was taken up into some place. He didn't know where it was. He didn't know if he was a man or not. He, didn't know, he, didn't know anything. he couldn't tell you the details, but he knew he had an experience in a, spiritually, in a spiritual context of heaven. See the same thing here with Isaiah. And what was his reaction? Remember? He says, the first thing he says is, I'm a man of unclean. I'm unclean. I am unclean. I don't even deserve to be here. And the answer is, you're exactly right. You aren't, you aren't, you aren't allowed to be here. You aren't, you, aren't, you aren't capable from the standpoint of worthiness to be here. And so he says, I am coming apart. I'm starting to fall apart. My being is starting to unravel. I'm literally starting to see that I don't have anything within me that has value in this context. We see that when Peter saw the great catch of fish. 
Remember the great catch of fish when Jesus threw the net, said throw it on the other side, and he throws it on the other side. Here's Jesus just kind of sitting there. And so before that, he's just seeing the master. He's the teacher. He's just sitting there. He's the one that can do miracles. He's this guy. And then he throws it to the other side. He's been fishing all night. And it's such a load of fish. It starts sinking his little vessel and sinking the other vessels that came to help him. And what did he do? He started falling apart, didn't he? He literally started coming apart and he fell before the Lord and he said, go away from me. I'm unclean. When you see ourselves in the light of God, it causes us to tremble, to come into a place of awe, of thanksgiving, of glory and thanksgiving and adoration. You know, I was taught as an early worship leader doing studies. I was taught in the scriptures as an early worship leader. There's, there's, there's praise. And praise is that determination that I will praise God. In other words, I will praise Him. And I praise Him for His attributes, for His goodness. I praise Him for His excellent greatness and the things that He's done, according to Romans, uh, Psalms 150. I praise Him for His mighty acts and for His excellent greatness. And much praise can be given. I could be bored as can be. I could feel like everything's on top of me. The world's coming apart. But when I think of who God is and if I examine His character, I examine His attributes, I can always praise Him. And it brings me out of me into Him. And we see this praise and we need to start. You don't come in here and say, well, Ben, you know, what are you going to give us today? What are you going to give me today to stir me up? Come on, Nate, what are you going to give me? Come on, musicians, singers. You going to smile or not? Now, I'll tell you something. We stirred that crowd up last night, didn't we? But it wasn't because we're all this, we're all spoons and knives. <laughs> it's because some stirred us up. This whole place started getting stirred up last night. We're just singing the simplest songs. I'm thinking, she, she chose these three songs. Everybody knows these songs. Next thing you know, everybody's singing these songs, and everybody's clapping, everybody's getting excited because we're declaring the praise of God, the unchangeable, unalterable change of God, a person of God, majesty of God. We start with praise, and it brings us to worship. It touches our heart. It brings us to a place where we start expressing our heart in thanksgiving and glory. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I start becoming thankful for everything and not, there's not a worry in the world. Everything's fine. I'm thanking Him. Until finally we come to this place where we, His presence comes upon us. And all we can do is just stand and adore Him. Heart to heart. Oh, come. Let us adore Him. Adoring him. This angel comes from that presence. These angels are adoring him all the time. Their function is to give praise to God night and day. Of course, there's no night and day in heaven, it's eternally. One angel came. And the glory of God just shone around them. Who's the them? 
the angels or it's at the shepherds. It shone around the shepherds and they were terrified. Undone. Coming apart. They didn't pull their cameras out and go, let's get this. They couldn't see up at that point. They were probably down like this. <laughs> I'm not worthy of this. I know he's going to get me. <laughs> Suddenly, they were terrified. We see in Matthew chapter 17, verse 1 through 8, it says, Jesus, after six days, took, took with him Peter and James and John, the brother of James, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter says, from a prone position, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, like the rushing of many waters. You ever been near a waterfall? A big waterfall? What is the sound? It literally is this crashing sound, this perpetual crashing, overwhelming sound. This is my Son, whom I love. And with Him I am well pleased. Listen to Him. When the disciples heard this, this is when they fell down. They fell face down to the ground. Terrif what was it? Terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, He said. Don't be afraid. This is just the normal heaven scene. It's just normal heaven, man. What are, you, what are you falling apart about? This is just normal heaven. They looked up. They saw no one except Jesus. What a glimpse. Yes? What a glimpse. What a transfiguration. What an advent we see. In verse 10 it says, But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Now he starts with the all. All people. Today, arguably, one of our greatest enemies, when you mention Jesus in their context, they call him blessed. What's the word that people, I, I, I despise it when I hear it, when they use the Lord's name in vain. They use it in a way that's just a throwaway. Jesus Christ. You're, Christ. Christ Jesus. I mean, all, all those things, just they're throwaway. They're meaningless. They're, they're blasphemous. But if you stop, and have you ever done this to somebody? You stop them. And you say, what did you just say? What are you talking about? Well, I didn't mean to offend you. It's just a word. I just use it. I don't think about it. 
Jesus Christ. I remember a friend of mine who was a Muslim who became a Christian and went over his house to meet his nice wife, thinking she's going to be a Christian too. Jesus Christ, Mike, Jesus Christ, he's a Muslim. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. And he says, he said, you shouldn't talk that way. That's John's God. She goes, really? Oh, I'm sorry. And, and I've said it before, and it may escape, but even in the context of the, the worst person saying it, it, it never has a direct negative direction upon Jesus himself, does it? They say it as if everything's like there's nothing else but Jesus Christ. They don't ever curse Jesus Christ. They don't say some other blurb behind it. And so even in, when people misuse it and they're blasphemy, it doesn't seem to be a word that people just are real comfortable saying. You know, they say GD. They say GD, but they don't really feel comfortable saying JCD. Do they? And so in some kind of strange way, this, this name is literally above all names. No one uses it from that standpoint. I remember a guy named Jesus one time. His first guy named Jesus. He's a great ping pong player. Couldn't beat him. No one could beat him. He's Jesus, of course. You know. <laughs> and you know what? When he get all, kind of go off on his stupidity, you know what people say to him? You know, your name's Jesus and you're talking like that? <laughs> he says, stop that. My mother used to say it to me all the time. I think that's why she named me Jesus. Don't be afraid, he says. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for everybody. Everybody. Whether you're a blasphemer, not even thinking of his name, you're into your rope, calling upon the name of Jesus. Imagine the millions and millions and billions of people who have called upon the name of Jesus. This is the beginning. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, I don't know what shepherds know about Hebrew culture, I mean Hebrew religion. I don't, I don't know what, did I say shepherds? I don't know what shepherds think about it. I, you know, it seems to me that, you know, the, if you say guys that work in, you know, Let's just say landscaping guys. Worked with a lot of landscaping guys. These guys weren't adept at Christian things. They didn't care what they said. They talked about any foul thing you think of and think it's fine. Now let's have lunch, you know, whatever. I don't know what shepherds are like. I don't know. Maybe they were the most godly people around. I don't know. But maybe they were the scum of the earth. But as I said, we're not talking about shepherds this week, are we? But here, these shepherds, they get the news that a Messiah is coming. What is, what do you say? Messiah? What exactly is a Messiah? Messiah. What is Messiah? What is it? It's the chosen one. Chosen one for what? You know, is this just because it's Jesus the Messiah? We think, we know that what it means, but everybody knows. Do you, do you know what Messiah means? Chosen? It basically refers to Moses' statement about one is going to rise up and he's going to come and he's going to save his people. He's going to shepherd them. And he's going to be the one 
the Messiah, the One. And here this news comes into their ears. And it's, they're saying, what you should associate with that word is it's going to bring, bring it's going to cause great joy for all people. And today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the One, the Lord, the Kurios, the Sir, you know, the, the respected Sir. It was, it was, Kurios, just a general term, means Sir. You, you'd say this to your, you know, some your boss. You call him Kurios because he's your, he's, your, he's your boss. He's the one to be respected. Here he elevates this word that the Messiah was going to be called Sir. He's going to be respected. There's going to be respect for Him. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. I don't care if you are a Hebrew expert or a scribe or whatever your relationship to Judaism is, but whether you're high or great, you examine that issue of what is the sign? What is this a sign of? You know, Luke has basically included texts of Scripture. Matthew's done the same thing to even a higher degree to show that this is the one that was prophesied by someone as a sign of them. The, the sign is not a sign on their chest. It's a, something that accompanies them to show what their role is. A sign, you know. You see Halpine Road out here. You say, you've arrived. Well, what's the address on Halpine Road? Well, you've got to give them a street address. But it's, it's, a sign is something that leads you to something else. This is going to lead all people, he says. All people is going to lead them toward joy. I'm getting kind of overzealous here for going into this text word by word. But, but the, the, the idea here is Jesus Christ and His mission and His crucifixion, His resurrection and establishment of Christianity and Christianity has spread literally all over the whole world. And Christianity brings things with it besides the message of redemption. It brings blessing. It brings blessing. I mean, I, heard, I listened to a book yesterday for two hours and the person was making a case how capitalism is something that springs from Christianity. Personal property. Freedom. Springs from Christianity. Historically, it, it links to it. He goes through... In fact, at one point, Karen said, do we have to listen to all these scriptures? This is a lot of scriptures. This really is, is it, no, is this really capitalism? He's not saying it's capitalism. He's saying this is where capitalism rises from. Your personal, just life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Where do you think that came from? Thomas Edison? I mean, excuse me, Thomas Jefferson? <laughs> it comes from Christ. It comes from this world view <laughs> and all people of the earth are blessed indiscriminately god says that 
He loves those who despitefully use Him. Verse 12, this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. I like, I like the, I'm not sure if you were reading that out of a version this morning, um, Drew, but the swaddling clothes. You know, I've seen and done a lot of swaddling in my day. You know, so keep this thing from pulling out that pacifier. You put it like this and you wrap them. <laughs> now they got these little gears, gear. You lay it down there and literally, if you do A, B, C, and D, that kid swaddled. And they are. That's what they do. They would swaddle the children. And we swaddle our children, right? You swaddle? Well, not anymore, I hope. Maybe feel like it sometimes, right? I don't know. But we swaddle our children when they're babies. Lying in a manger. Of course, this is a refreshing um, fulfillment to what the angel told Mary earlier. And then to Joseph in that whole time frame, in that narrative, part of this narrative. Suddenly, suddenly, this is all from one angel, by the way. All one angel. Both the context of heaven flooding in on these persons, they're seeing the glory of God. Well, if you saw the glory of God, you'd think that's it, man. That's more, I, I can't imagine even that. But just to show you, that's not the whole context. It says, suddenly, a company of the heavenly host. A company of the heavenly host. A host. It's a military term. It's the ranking members of a military structure. Jesus said in the garden, when his Peter pulls out his sword and cuts off someone's ear, he says, put that away. He says, don't you think I could call on my Father and He will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Legions. It's another military term. Now perhaps it's because of the context of Rome. I don't know. But clearly, this is a, these, are, these are heavenly beings. Messengers. Now see, it, we always use the word angels and we have them all segregated by angels. Angelon simply means messenger. We're called angelon, messengers, in Matthew 24. That we are to go to all the world and share the message to the four winds of the earth. And here we see this company. Almost as if he said, you know, now that you've seen this, now look at this. And just the company of angels come. The ones that are designated in a military fashion. Guard, I, I don't know. 10,000 10, times 10,000? I, I was thinking, how much is that? You know, the day I was thinking, it's a lot. I don't want to. Is it millions and millions and millions beyond what you can count? We see this long text that we read this morning from Revelation chapter 4, and then Revelation chapter 5, and you see both the heavenly realm, the hosts of heaven. And then you see, as it develops even further, appearing with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heavens and on earth peace for those to whom His favor rests. Now, again, a military term. And in our study of Revelation, we talked about the techniques of Rome. And Rome had this technique of wearing these 
these, these heavy sandals, and above the sandals were these leather guards to protect their shins. And on these leather guards protecting their shins, they literally had um, you know, hanging their devices that would hit one another, make a like, like that. It would make a noise as, it, as these things would hit each other. Now, they weren't bells, but they were, they were like the, just ornaments or something. They were on their, on their, um, on their legs. Well, now, one person, but imagine an army of 25,000 men, full battle gear. You can't even see them yet, but you start hearing this thing as they get within five miles of you, and it's like, this sound that's coming towards you. We see these angels peering with him, with them. <laughs> and they're saying, they're, I guess when you hear an angel say something, it's kind of like listening to something quite beautiful. Every once in a while, someone will say, You have a very beautiful voice. Do you sing? Oh, no, no, I don't sing. I just have a beautiful voice. I think when I ask people that, I think they can probably sing, but they don't even really know they can sing. Because there's something about the quality of the voice. And, and, we, and we, we pattern instruments after the human voice. Do you know that? Instruments are patterned after the sounds of the human voice. That's why they're so, so wonderful to hear. It said in, in Chronicles that David, he developed, or had developed or developed, Scores of instruments, thousands of different instruments, more likely many instruments, but in thousands of repetitive instruments to praise God with, to hear God, to, to praise God with, to, to give glory and praise to God. And here he's here. This doesn't say anything about instruments here. It just simply says they're praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to whom, to those on whom his favor rests. Now I would guess that if I heard that, I heard a lot of really nice choruses that I can't stop singing. I don't know about you. And we were thinking yesterday when we were this little baby and let's sing as many old choruses as we can think of. Man, we can think of a lot of old choruses. Satisfied, satisfied with Jesus. That's so trite. Oh, sing it then a little while. See how it gets in your brain. Though the fig tree shall not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine. You know, we think of Christian music and it is filled with scripture. I wonder what they were saying and what they were thinking and how they were responding. Because he. Later in two chapters, or one chapter later, and, and Drew read this morning, the angels are basically, and these beings are just everywhere in heaven, and they're, they're created to praise God. We're created to praise God too. Do you know that? Part of our redemption is it awakens us to praise for God. What a mercy. Can you imagine having... We, we went through some stuff in my 
my, my um, daughter's oldest daughter's husband and her parents brought him all this stuff when he was a kid because they didn't want their attic anymore. And one of them was a trumpet. <laughs> it still had the, you know, the brass mouthpiece and everything like that. And here we are, we're all taking our turn. I can, I played a trumpet. It goes like that, it makes a noise, you know. That's, that's it though, just a noise. So we're going around the room like this and it comes to the owner. He takes his thing and starts playing this trumpet. Like I think he learned when he was in a Cub Scouts and you know he was six years, six or seven years old and here he's playing this trumpet. We're all going, it's just, just a kid kind of blowing out 12 notes. And we go, wow, man, that's fantastic. <laughs> you are an instrument of God that God has created to praise him. And if you don't know that now, you'll know it shortly when you get to heaven. We're not going up there to have discussion with God and ask all our questions. We're going to know all our questions answered like that. In a twinkling of an eye, we're going to know him the way he knows us. It's not going to be just like God sitting down and tells us, well, the reason I did that because, uh, you know, or, you know, who is it, Jerry Lewis, when I get to heaven, I got a lot of questions for God. Well, if you get to heaven, you're not going to have to ask any questions of God. They're saying these glorious things. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. This context of peace that is from heaven because heaven is a place of peace. It's a place of joy. It's a place of righteousness. It's a place where God's person flows out like a river. I think, what did these shepherds think? What did they hear? In 1741, George Frederick Handel, in three or four weeks, penned the Messiah. Were you there? It's just three or four here. Okay. I read a lot too. Okay. Okay. Anyway, so it's it's a. Astounding period of time. Agreed? Yeah. It's an astounding period of time. As if he, and he, he said this, he was hearing something and writing down what he heard. He didn't have to think about it, play it, and then so he can hear it. He's hearing it and then writes it down. This is something that many of the great composers did. They heard the music. As a result, they wrote down what they heard. So in three or four weeks, he... Three weeks, okay, three weeks. He composes the entire score with voices, with instruments of the Messiah. On completion of the Hallelujah Chorus. And by the way, he'd go into his room and he would stay there for a long period. He was a very, very large person, but he lost many, many pounds because he wouldn't eat. He'd just be there all night and day. All night and day. In fact, I think, think that when he died, is he, it was sometime later, he had a major stroke and died because he was so focused on the writing of music. But a servant became concerned that he was not eating. He was up in his work area, in his work place. And so he came to the door and knocked, and he would never answer. He would never answer his door. He would, if he came to the door, you didn't want to see him because he would be quite violent and angry. 
But he slipped into the room. And tradition has it that he was lying on the floor, face down, on top of his manuscripts of music. And he had just completed the Hallelujah Course. And with tears running down his face, his servant heard him saying, I did think, I did see all heaven before me and the great God himself. That's just a human being writing a score. Can you imagine what millions of angels sounded like singing? Can you think of it? The overwhelming sense of focus on the one that they're singing about and being affected within your very soul, stimulated within to join them, to join them. At the London premiere of the Messiah in 1943 of King George II of England, when he heard the Hallelujah Chorus, this questionable person, he rose to his feet to give glory to God. We see this now. I, I didn't even notice the tradition. I know what everybody does during the Messiah. We went to the Messiah and saw it maybe four or five years ago. It was down in the Kennedy Center, and we saw the Messiah. And it was just, you know, when you, when you hear the whole thing, it just, just kind of overwhelms you. It's one thing to sing. I've sung in it too, but it, it's, it's overwhelming to hear it. And then when that hallelujah chorus hits, I remember just thinking, I just got to stand up. I started standing up, and everybody started standing up. I thought, wow, this is really getting everybody. Well, tradition has it. You're supposed to stand up during that. It's like the national anthem, right? <laughs> but I got a sense a lot of people stood up because of the glory of God they had a sense of in that text of music. This is the night the angels sang. And it stuck, didn't it? And other messengers have been singing this same way. Day after day after day after year after year after century after century after millennia after millennia. Singing the same songs that the angels sang. We sang them today. Didn't you, you hear this in our songs today? These are new songs. They're only like 150 years old. Last night we heard people singing these songs from every, no, not every, but many nations and tongues. I was taken by it. I was gripped by it. I didn't, I didn't care if everybody sang it perfectly. I, you know, it wasn't as good as a record or something like that. They were singing praise to God in their own tongue. Something glorifying about that. I remember the first time I saw one of those Foursquare tapes about mission stuff they have. And they, they take you back into some place way back in the middle of some, nowhere and you're in, in this village and all these people are jumping up and down and they're singing this stuff and you're thinking, wow, what is this stuff? What is this? And you realize, this is their worship service. This is to God. Who do you think you are when they come to your place? They're going to feel comfortable. 
<laughs> His glory is filling the earth as the waters cover the seas. Because of this one visitation, because of this appearing, because of this advent of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. World without end. Amen. And when the angels had left and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, what are we doing here? <laughs> Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. What a glorious story, I mean. May we never lose the wonder. The wonder of his mercy. May we never Substitute amusement. Ah, without. Muse, thought. We want to be amused. We want to be touched without thinking. May the Holy Spirit take the words of this scripture and just awaken us afresh today to this glorious advent of his birth, and may we join the angel songs. We sing angel songs today. Christmas is sing angel songs. Scripture choruses, angels songs. May this become something that grips us and fills us and floods us until we only come to the place of adoration in the presence of our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen.